0: I sent you a text yesterday. Do you remember what it said?
1: You did. It was something about, um. what did it say? Oh, nicknames, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you, Do I have your permission?
1: <laughs> oh, to, for my response? <laughs> did you read it? The response that was yeah. over text, and I said, no one knows about this. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I did. I've given up everything else I in did. my life <laughs> to this podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wrote, do you have any ridiculous nicknames your parents used for you when you were a lad that stuck with you into it? I said lad. Yeah, fancy. <laughs> God. Uh, that stuck with you into adulthood that maybe they only they use and occasionally get outed in more public spheres. That was my text mm-hmm. to you. And you said, uh, my entire extended family and my parents still call me T. I think originally as a way of differentiating me from all the other Tom mm-hmm. Metz's <laughs> littered with them, your family is, I guess, uh, in my family. I was called T for most of my childhood, including in your Books and stuff. Certain people, including soccer coaches, would make fun of me for that yep. sometimes. And I'll say, parenthetically, why? I don't know. But I would they I make had fun of you? I had these soccer
1: coaches that would say they would like call roll for soccer, and they'd go T, and then one of them, there were two of them, and they'd go one lump or two <laughs> every, like oh, every time. No, one okay. lump or two. believe Good me. Stuff.
0: They're the ones who need to okay. work <laughs> on that. Okay, but I guess tea isn't ridiculous. You say my mother exclamation point currently calls me bunny butt and sweetums Jesus. in texts, which is horrifying. But that doesn't come out in public spheres.
1: I said you could read it, and I kind of forgot what okay. I'd read, what I'd written.
0: Yeah. Um, believe me, that is clear. I, I you forgot. forgot what you wrote. And that is amazing. I will tell you mine. Okay. Um, I am <laughs> so uh, occasionally this comes out. Yeah. Occasionally this comes out. It's all a variant of uh, Wiesty. Uh, Wiesty. Oh, why? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Wiest, the Wieser, Wieser, Wowo, wo Wiest, Wiest, Mr. Weest, what's going God. on, Weest? Why would that be? Don't don't know. That's my dad. He started this thing where where Weisty was Wait, the you thing. you don't know already talked what, about.
1: Why it comes from? I don't know where it came we- from. But that's no, so weird. No. That doesn't like that's no not even weird.
0: Weest. I know. It's a made up thing and I'm the weeser. Weasty. We to, I don't even know authentically how it's spelled because it's always been like an artifact of spoken <laughs> yeah, language. A giant and beast. occasionally he'll send me, yeah, he'll send me a thing and it's spelled out. I'm like, that's not. Is why is there a Q in there? <laughs> like it just doesn't make sense. Why it is what it is. But that was mine. And occasionally it'll come out like we're in, um, you know, we'll be in a public place or like in a grocery store and. I'll be standing by something, and he'll say something like, hey, we get the carrots. I'm like, come on, really? <laughs> Grocery store? So there's that bit of of baggage that I have hanging over. And then, then you know, it, it sort of, from my youth, it really established Pete. Like, Pete was the, the nickname, the minimization of Peter, because that last R is oh. too much. And uh, so Pete... And then I go to Korea, and I was living in Korea for a while, you know mm-hmm. that, and I had this guy sitting next to me in a movie theater, stranger, don't know him, uh, watching one of the Star Wars re-releases, and he starts petting my arm in the dark theater, because I've got kind of a hairy arm. I've told you this story, right? Hairy (laughs) arm, got a hairy arm. And he says, he says, pitol, which is like blood, like bloody fur, like bloody fur. And that started a whole thing. I don't even know what the what the whole like translation is, but pitolegi or something in Korean means something about bloody fur, blood, bloody bear fur, or something like that. Like there is a yeah. there is a connection to that, and it's it's straight up horrifying, and that became a nickname just from uh, in between Korea you oh, and that Korean guy. Korean people, <laughs> Korean people. I told this story, and my Korean friends were like, "Oh, dope Oops, nickname you for You wasted Pete, yourself. That's gonna stick. I wasted myself. Uh. That's what I did. Yeah."
1: Horrible, that right? is, can we pause so, for one second? I feel like yeah. we maybe blazed by just one small detail in that story. A stranger yep. started petting your arm <laughs> in a theater. <laughs> and that wasn't... <laughs> I think you should do your entire anxiety segment <laughs> just on that. Because that's weird. <laughs> Unless that's a custom. I don't know. I don't
0: know what to do with that bit of information so
1: i I get it i get it
0: you're you're (laughs) filled to the brim okay so and he was so happy with himself like it's a it's a whole fanfare and he's like petting my arm
1: and snickering what did you do were you like (laughs) it's pronounced weasty (laughs) (laughs) okay
0: Okay. go on all right we have to move on i don't know uh why (laughs) I got to thinking about this. Uh, But I started thinking about uh, nicknames. And so I started looking up nicknames, realizing that the nicknames of my friends are, like mine, terrible. They're they're just they're either stupid or they diminish you in some way, shape, or form. I'm like, how does that even happen? So I started, uh, I started reading a little bit. I, this isn't like a current news story like we usually do, but I just wanted you to know that nicknames, we need to watch that. It turns out there are people, probably people with terrible nicknames, who have written straight up academic papers about the power differential in nicknames. Oh, that the name giver assumes the role of power in a group, and bullies take that on and like they abuse nicknames right. when they find them. They do these horrible things. Th- nicknames connote a deviation from the usual and thus they separate those who are in the group and those who are outside the group, says someone who probably was uh, bullied because of their nickname. Right.
1: I'm just saying, I like, don't felt think about so... that, but that makes a ton of sense because it's also the yes. catchiness of it, the stickiness of it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it it can also be flattering. Like I look at T and I'm like T, you. That's a good. That's a good. T, it's a letter. It's Thomas a strong Gretz letter. T? No, oh, I'm looking me, at you. Tea. You said T. Oh, tea. okay, great. Yeah, it's a good thing. I don't know. Like I know that uh, a a taller T yep. came into your life and and he, took that he, he, that yes, over. But you could very well have have carried T. Too many T's, and you ended up with like Tommy. Yeah, right. Like I don't call you butter butt, but I bunny will
1: bunny butt. Get it right.
0: Oh, right. Don't be
1: weird. <laughs> My mom calls me bunny butt, not butter butt. We're not creeps. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. <laughs>
0: Anyway, uh, so you know, like you're not sitting around being called like you know iron thumbs or you know
1: not to my face. Like you can be super (laughs)
0: duper. So I I feel like nicknames are there. I'm going to put some links in the show notes because nicknames are straight up scary if they get out. And if you have social anxiety just know that when somebody gives you a nickname, it could be flattering, it could be not so flattering, and it could be bunny butt.
1: (laughs) Bunny butt it
0: is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Talk about failing (laughs) up. Oof. Hey, I got a confession. Been losing no momentum Just because it's easy that don't make it better. Better, better. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Bunny Butt Mets <laughs> the Third.
0: And I'm Pete the Weast, right?
1: And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and
0: hopefully laugh about it with all of you.
1: And reach out, y'all. Send us the story of your little anxieties <laughs> to what's that smell.net. Because every week we like to have a listener submission, because it gets us out of our dumb heads and into your beautiful ones. So go to what's that smell.net. There's a big shiny button that says submit your anxiety, and then we will research it, talk about it, and laugh about it, and you won't be So Alone and then Never the Train Shall Meet They did it again (laughs) alright and with that I'll go first Pete Tom I know this is going to be tough to swallow, but I couldn't think of a funny way to introduce my anxiety this week, so with your permission, I'm going to just dive right in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you had that clever southern thing going on a minute ago, so... (laughs) I should have maybe just stuck with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I tried and tried to think of a way to sort of ease into this, and I can't, because (laughs) I'm going through something, and I've been going through it for the past couple months, and I don't like it one bit. Can I tell you what it is?
0: Ah, Yeah, now I'm a little bit nervous.
1: I will be eating a meal, it could mm-hmm. be breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and something happens. I swallow a random bite of food, and things don't go as they should. For lack of a better term, the food gets stuck in my throat, and this happens all the time. I'm not choking. This is important. I'm not choking and I can still breathe, but it feels like the food is just sort of existing in my throat and it won't finish going down the gullet. None of this is a joke. This is all awful. And it's very disturbing because it feels like if the food sort of shifts in a certain way, it will cut off my windpipe. Again, that's never happened, but it's just having something in your throat. That's where the air comes in and out of. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Pete. It's pretty oh my important. God. um God. And I won't be able to breathe. That's what I'm worried about. If I try to drink water to force it down, it doesn't work, and I have to spit the water out. I can Wait, try you can't to make swallow the water either. Not very well, like very little, because it's like my throat doesn't have as much room in it. I can breathe, but it's there is but, an obstruction. It feels like I can. Sorry, trigger warning for a with the low files. I can try to make myself throw up, but that also doesn't work. It just slowly figures itself out. And then everything goes back to normal. Like, like the Pete,
0: food just falls down. It your just finally throat. falls
1: down and then everything is fine. And this is happening at least once a day, sometimes once a meal. Pete, it happened this morning at breakfast and I absolutely hate it. I know you know what this is before I even say it. So I'm going to say it real quick. My anxiety this week is dysphagia which is difficulty in swallowing. It's derived from the Greek dis meaning bad and phage meaning eat. Pete, I got the bad eats.
0: You have the bad eats, I got the bad eats.
1: Now, before I move on, Pete, your wife trucks in this world with the bad eats, doesn't she? She well, she's is. a
0: speech and language pathologist. And so she, you know, she's not a swallowing specialist, but that is within yep. the field. And so she's studied a lot about it. And, you know, you know, when she was going to graduate school, I was riddled with anxiety because every day she was studying something else that that would that co- revolved that would, around. It would revolve around, yeah, breathing, speaking, swallowing disorders. And, and so it's it's terrifying. And I've done my best over the last 15 years not to think about it. So
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> and then
0: here comes time. Here comes Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I so I I what I know more than anything is I'm so sorry, man. I'm so it's, sorry.
1: Well, oh, it's so much better now than it was, meaning for a while I would get really panicky. We'll get into that more. I want to talk about the psychological stuff a little bit more in a second, but I just want to go over the basics of it. Yeah. Practical question,
0: because I love you. Practical question. When the food is down there and constraining your airway, if you breathe in just a certain way, can you make your throat whistle
1: <laughs> it does a real sexy cat call <laughs> like if i breathe in real fast it's like wee, wee. and, and then surprised. and then i turn That'll around like like someone's doing it at me and i like bat my eyes and stuff and i, I live alone what um, yeah <laughs> what me oh and i always always have my parents on. yeah it's totally <laughs> yeah. okay all this right you were saying <laughs> um well to get it out of the way because in case people are wondering yes i have an appointment with a specialist it is yeah. in two it is in two weeks but i made the appointment 2 months ago that's how backed up i guess Mouth people are. Everybody is
0: right now. Right.
1: Everybody is because probably people have been putting it off and Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So I do have something coming up. It's just going to still be a while. I do not want to go very far into the science of it all because it's not that type of podcast. But there seem to be two main causes. And, of course, jump in. You're actually smarter about this probably because of your wife than I am. Cum laude. But let me know. (laughs) Number one main cause is an obstruction of some sort that can come from infections or scar tissue or acid reflux. And the second one is the conditions involving muscle. Muscles used for swallowing, such as achalasia, where muscles in the esophagus lose their ability to relax and open to let food down. More good news. I do sometimes suffer from acid reflux. So I'm betting that that's the culprit. And the good thing is that if that is the culprit, that's going to be one of the easier fixes.
0: Yeah, right. Because uh, this has been happening for a couple of months. Has anything else changed in like your diet that would exacerbate acid reflux? I would ask if I were a professional, I would ask that question.
1: I've really cut back on any spicy food. I'm not having as much. I mean, and there's really no connection that I've been able to make between certain types of foods, certain types of days. It is mm-hmm. just from the hip. It is completely random. Wow. Um, but I have found one thing that really helps and works. And this is how long, what's the one thing when you feel like you're almost kind of choking, you probably don't want to do? Talk. Yeah. But you know what really helps? Talking. Talking.
0: Probably because it, because dislodges, it, moves, it yeah, moves those the muscle.
1: same muscles around, and so if I'm eating alone with Foster, I'll just tell Foster a story because it helps speed up the process. And it's very uncomfortable because it kind of sounds like this, but then all of a sudden it just goes away
0: because um, the food falls.
1: Uh, because food falls, uh, you got the bad eats and the good the good treats at the end.
0: Do you know, you know what that's called that once it's in your mouth. This is a word for you. already. chewing? Oh, what's in your a bolus? You swallow Why? the bolus.
1: A bolus is, wait, what is a bolus? Do it again.
0: You swallow it's, the bolus of food.
1: Oh, so once it's in your mouth, you, it becomes a bolus? Yeah, yeah. It's what a, is it called when it's stuck in It throat? is a
0: rounded mass of substance, especially chewed food, at the moment of swallowing. At the moment of swallowing. You have a bad bolus.
1: Maybe that's my problem. I don't make a little ball. I really flatten it out. <laughs> it's real <laughs> long. I make it into like a really long hot dog shape and then I swallow and it all Just right jam it down and like I a sword down. swallower. And then I tell my dog a story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is it because I actually put all my food on a skewer and then just <laughs> jam it down my throat?
1: Yeah it's because I'm a cartoon cat and I eat out of the dumpster and I put the entire fish in my mouth and then I pull it back and it's just bones. These are all true. These are all true. So more than the science, I wanted to talk about the psychological effects because as I mentioned before, it took me, I mean, this has been months and for something that happens at least once a day that lasts, you know, for a couple minutes, it took me a long time to get over that panicky feeling that comes with the threat of not being able to breathe. Again, threat yeah. of not... If it had ever stopped my airway, I would have broken down the door of the specialist and be like, yeah. you're, seeing me, you're seeing me now. But because it's happened so often, I'm much calmer because I really do have real trust that we'll, it will be okay. But on the other side, I did learn how to give myself the Heimlich, just in case, like I studied up, just in case, so you know it's still on my mind.
0: You know, there's, there's a difference between studying and practicing, however. Have you done any sort of Heimlich practice? <laughs> like over a chair or on your dog?
1: I mean, n- not, well, e- n- uh, b- well, because I'm not, <laughs> and then I just fall over and it turns out there's been something stuck in my throat the entire time. For, for 60 mean, days. I guess I've done it at like half speed. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like I've found, I've dug in where it is. I haven't really done it, done it, because mm-hmm. again, I haven't needed to. I haven't been choking, choking. Yeah. yeah. Um. But there's also something that never would have occurred to me And I did feel very alone, spoiler alert, I'm not, but we'll get to that. There is a social anxiety element to it because it has, now that I'm seeing people more, granted outside on restaurant decks or in parks and stuff, it has happened numerous times when I've been eating with friends and it happens. And the first few times I've started to panic and kind of like left, like if it was over to a park, I'd go over by a tree or desperately try to find a restroom. Now when it happens, I don't even acknowledge it at first. Mm -hmm. you really feel a spotlight on yourself. And a lot of times they can tell that I'm going through something, probably because I make this face. (laughs) You know, like my Mm -hmm. eyes get bigger. I don't look like myself. And if that happens, I will tell them what's happening. I've been suffering from this. I can breathe. If I go like this, that means I can't anymore. But this just has to happen. And I just keep talking like a weirdo and then it goes away. Mm -hmm. And it's all very kind of embarrassing. And it honestly makes me a little anxious to go out and eat with people. What if it's the,
0: what if it is a, because I know this is one of those things where there is the psychological barrier too. Like there is a, there there are two different forks where there's the physiological challenge where your muscles and nervous system are not talking to one another. And it, it's you mean like leading to the difficulty it's the in yips. swallowing. It's the oh, right. yips for, for swallowing oh, muscles, right? To bring right back, yeah. Right. Uh, but there is also the psychological version of this, right? Uh, like, Uh, phagophobia phagophobia yeah which is which is the 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 fear fear of swallowing for right i mean that is that is sure the other side of this which is and when you start when as soon as you mentioned social anxiety that got me thinking okay if as long as there's a social pressure involved we know that that is not strictly physiological
1: Right. right? right yeah but do you think that's maybe like
0: exacerbating it Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't it feel like it when, when that spotlight comes on? As somebody who is so so experienced at having the social spotlight on him sure. all the time, I would imagine that feels pretty familiar.
1: But you mean that, therefore... Because it's always a surprise when it happens. So I, I'm not mm. usually thinking about it until it's happening, and then it's kind of all I can think about. Interesting. So I'm not worried. But, I, but another thing is I'm probably or at least I'm worried that I'm a little less present than I normally would be. Because yeah. if it had happened earlier in the day, I'm really concentrating on chewing my food. Yeah. I'm making everything into a soup in <laughs> my mouth. And so that's probably like if you're thinking about, because usually chewing and swallowing is like blinking your eyes. Yeah, you're not sure. supposed to think about it, but I'm sort of forced to. Um, So I was wondering, because the um social anxiety part of it got under my mind craw, I wanted to do a teeny bit of research. And guess what, Pete? I'm not alone. Mm. And this goes back to 2002. In 2002, Italian scientists Ferri and Acrino (laughs) uh, studied a large number of patients with active social lives who began suffering from dysphagia. And these aren't just old people, as dysphagia happens a lot more in the elderly, but these are people across the board, including my age. They had active social lives, began suffering from dysphagia, and they found out that over half of these patients were found to be more fragile, lacking self-confidence, limiting social relationships, and consequently having a tendency to self-isolate. I'm not doing that, luckily, probably because my pull to be near or with people is just too strong, but I get it, because it's a really scary feeling, and there's something really embarrassing about it, something about, like, Choking and breathing and eating, which is already kind of gross. I don't know. I wonder if it's sort of a little bit of a perfect storm. For me, it's also, as I mentioned, it's the randomness of it. It's not every bite. It's just some bites. It's not certain foods. It's not spicy foods. It's not really hot, not really cold. My throat does not discriminate on what it wants to throw a speed bump in front of hmm. Have you ever suffered from this? You said that you try not to think about it because of your wife. Well,
0: sure. I try not to think about it. I, I feel like I have I, I have a sense memory of an experience of not being able to swallow, like not just one experience, but it has happened to me. Yeah. Um, but but not not with food usually it's what? it's in some sort of a like my mouth will get super dry and i can't i just can't tell my oh. throat swallow now right. i need i need to to swallow now and so i'll end up just like like constantly uh i can't even describe it where where you just i i'm it's like i'm stuck in a yawn that's kind of what it feels like and i go into a little panic state where i I kind of freak out a little bit. It does not happen very often, right? Okay. I'm, I'm not like plagued with terrible. it. Yeah. But when it does happen, it's it is like oh, it, you know that feeling when you can't yawn, but when you can't swallow, there is something really debilitating about that. You know yeah. that. Yeah. And and so I don't I don't have that as an experience like every day, but I do know I know that feeling. Yeah. I've never had any issue swallowing, but I do have a fear of it because. If you can't resolve it, the path to resolution is invasive, right? Like when you start talking about feeding tubes and those kinds of things,
1: eventually you have to eat. Right. Um, So. It's not something you can just sort of live with forever if it's really impeding things, right? Yeah. Because it can lead to all
0: sorts of other things, eating disorders, malnutrition, like it's it's Dehydration, de- there's a de- yeah, lot of stuff. serious, serious drooling. stuff.
1: <laughs> like so- <laughs> I put drooling at the end, like as if that's the big thing I'm worried about. Right, but drooling right. is a, a major component of it that I don't suffer from. I don't, yes. as far as the dysphagias, granted I've been suffering it for way too long, I'm getting off a little easy in that there's also no pain for me. There's psychological pain and there's nervousness and very strong uncomfortability. But some people with dysphagia have like actual, like it's hurting while it's sitting in there. And I'm so lucky I don't have that. Yeah. The most important answer I've personally found is to, for this, to help my own anxiety. Because there's just, there's not a ton, there's a lot of information about dysphagia. There's not a a ton of like what to do before you can get help. Or Mm -hmm. how to make yourself feel better about it because it's not, it's, it is largely seen of as a physical, and not a mental thing. Yeah, The most important thing that I've found is not to try to diagnose it myself, from the internet because like with everything on web md i have all the face cancer so there's just not i turn all that off that's not doing anyone what i need to do is get a professional diagnosis and help from a doctor which i am doing because there's a ton of different ways to address the problem from simple lifestyle changes to physical rehab i remember we talked about that once before you can if it is a muscle thing they can help retrain you how to swallow better and yeah. going to see, I just wanted to bring that up because going to see a doctor might seem obvious, but that same study I mentioned earlier showed that those same amount of patients experiencing anxiety about dysphagia will often conceal or deny their condition. That study found that only 36% of those patients acknowledged that they had received a confirmed diagnosis of dysphagia, and only 32% acknowledged that they were receiving professional treatment for their condition. Wow. So dysphagia denial is also really real. And so... I just, because I like to share my (laughs) ridiculous life on this podcast as much as I can, I also just wanted to put all this in here just in case there's someone experiencing dysphagia or has or might in the future, because it is real, it is okay, almost always it's a very easy, I shouldn't say very easy, it's non-invasive to fix, but you do have to get it worked on and checked out.
0: Yeah, yeah. In the meantime... Yeah. You could always work on that whistle. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh. The doctor's gonna be like, look, sir. <laughs> it's not that type of office. <laughs> yeah.
0: We discourage that.
1: In business, like in life, successful partnerships can mean the difference between booming success and utter failure. This is especially true in the volatile industry of food service, as the Booty brothers found out in the mid-90s. Looking to start a chain of restaurants partnered with celebrities a la Planet Hollywood, Francesco and Tommaso Booty turned, surprisingly, to the world of fashion. Teaming up with then-supermodels Naomi Campbell, Elle McPherson, Claudia Schiffer, and Christy Turlington as the faces of the restaurant chain, the first Fashion Cafe opened in Rockefeller Center in New York City in 1995. It seemed like an instant success, with the chain immediately breaking ground for other restaurants in countries including the United Kingdom and Spain. But behind the scenes, the restaurant chain was flailing! Simply putting models' names next to average fare like burgers and waffle fries did not attract the general public. A writer for the San Francisco Chronicle described the food as, quote, bad. (laughs) And as author Matt Haig later wrote in 2011, the connection between models and food was not an obvious one, and fashion is not a theme that makes people feel hungry. Also adding to the trouble was some of the more bizarre food options, such as the $20 Salad Extraordinaire, created by and for Naomi Campbell, that consisted of a glass of champagne, two slices of tomato, a leaf of iceberg lettuce, and a pack of Newport cigarettes. I did not make that up. Ultimately, the Booty Brothers overfranchised the cafes and mismanaged the business, leading to models such as Christy Turlington to abandon the project. Models Campbell and McPherson also left after accusing tomorrow of stealing more than $10,000 a day from the business to support his lavish lifestyle. The restaurant finally closed in 1998 and Tommaso Butti was later arrested for defrauding investors in 2000, finally breaking up the partnership once and for all. Want to be in a partnership that's built to last and won't lead to any arrests? Fingers crossed. Why not become a what's that smell panic pal today for just a one-time what? Yes, one-time payment of $35, which is just a little bit more than that cartoonish and horrific salad. You will be helping pay the cost that it takes to produce this podcast for season six. Why? You're listening to that season right now. In addition to being an amazing person, giving us that one-time payment of $35 will also get you exclusive perks like a pack of Newport cigarettes, JK. Not Really, but you will get early access to episodes and live streams, exclusive members only episodes, a collection of exclusive What's That Smell anxiety coupons to be used as emotional legal tender when you get the shivers, delightful stickers you can put on your face, and more. Pete and I dearly love producing this show for your eyes and ears, but all the behind the scenes beeps and boops do cost money. So if you like what you're hearing, why not help us cover the costs of season six and become a panic pal? Just go to What's That Smell.net and click the Join Now button. Again, What's That Smell click on join now you're a panic pal we're your panic friends thank you and now on with the show
0: tom hello Pete. oh man Uh-oh. this week um, oh this week that i so all right let oh. me just let me just get into it i have a listener okay. submission this week oh right to it yeah okay i know I know we're, we're all and business. it's a listener submission and I read the listener submission and I think to myself like I, it it causes me to ask the big questions oh. you know like the big questions like what if the secret was real oh, like
1: okay. that's, that's big
0: true. or or what if I'm only able to master two or three of the seven habits. Like of highly the, successful the big, people, <laughs> yeah, the okay. big existential questions sure. in life. Like that's the that's the kind of scale that we're talking about this week, and it's a little bit long. But I feel like I owe it to the submitter uh, of this to actually to actually share the whole thing,
1: the, the whole this submission, is
0: the whole submission. It's a Soup little bit nuts. it's a little bit long, but I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna get there. hair. Okay. I'm ready. This is from Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Thank you. First, Catherine says, "Well, she she didn't say anything for you to thank her for yet, but it'll oh. get there. Here you go,
1: nice try, Catherine."
0: Catherine says, "I love this podcast. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> Sorry, I missed my cue. <laughs> In one sentence,
1: I lost complete track. Okay, good."
0: The only problem is that I keep discovering anxieties I didn't realize I had. Hallelujah, Oops. Catherine. <laughs> yeah. uh, one that I'm not sure you've talked about is deep water. More accurately, the sense of depth of water. Stay with me because this, Interesting. this, gets, this goes places. Okay. I first discovered that it created anxiety in me when swimming laps at the pool and getting an awful feeling when I got to the point at which it suddenly got deeper. I can't describe what it is that I'm anxious about. It's not that I feel like I'm going to sink or be pulled down. It's just that it's deeper. It's just there. I've had this feeling when driving past big silos and imagining them full of water. The weirdest trigger was when I looked into my bathroom sink basin and realized that there was a pipe that goes down, which could be full of water. I'm okay with boats, swimming in the ocean, etc., but occasionally I'll get a sudden feeling of dread when I think about a little person or boat just bobbing around on the surface when there's all but just water underneath them. Now, here's the bonus anxiety-inducing, mind-bending spatial awareness for you to become aware of that Catherine carries around. Okay. Did you ever think that because of gravity, we are always falling, and the only reason we're not hurtling toward the center of the Earth is that there's something in the way? Are you sitting on a chair? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Are you sitting on a chair right now? Take it away, and down you go until something stops you. Some rocks and dirt. If it weren't there, you'd be heading down. Slipping down a deep path? That slides right down over 6,000 kilometers, around 4,000 miles to the Earth's 6,000 degrees Celsius liquid metal core, which is hotter than the surface of the sun. Oh, except that there's a thin layer called the crust separating it from you. We're not standing on the surface of the Earth. We are being prevented from being pulled down (laughs) to its center.
1: Oh, (laughs) jeez! This is going to be contagious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I've carried this around with me for now weeks as we've been building this show. And I actually had in our listener submissions form in our behind the scenes, I said reserved by Pete because I can't shake this feeling. It, I totally get it. I totally wow. get it all the way from the water stuff. Like I was, uh, I was uh, at at my son's swim meet and I was running the timing. Uh, I was timing the lanes and I find myself in between races. Like somebody would dive in to at the starting sound and my, my, my like imagination would carry them straight through their streamline. And what if they just kept going down? Lady in in the the water style. Yeah. Yeah. Lady in the water style. Like I, Totally ab- get, uh, get that obsessive thought spiral, and that's what we're talking about here. Like when you get caught on this thing that you can't shake, and it causes that sort of physiological reaction. And oh my god, I get it. <laughs> now, Tom, I know we've talked about water. In fact, it was just a couple of episodes we talked about aquaphobia. So I'm going right. to say the water stuff. Uh, we've that's that's settled anxiety. We've talked about that before. So we're gonna, just yeah. so
1: that, that's just an aperitif for this this yeah that's right
0: that's right it's a little snifter it's a little snifter you toss it around uh but what i really want to talk about is the existential bit of this obsessive thought spiral uh uh, main (laughs) course and and that is this this gravity issue what do you think before i dig into where i went on it
1: i a couple episodes ago or no maybe it was just the exact same one. You showed me a video of people diving into water, and it was the drone shot, and if people watch the live stream, panic pals, you would be able to see me recoil, but you can hear me recoil and go, ah, that's yeah. the feeling I got from you reading the existential part. <laughs> because there is something, maybe it's just super primal, but I felt for a second like falling. Emotionally, yeah. no, yeah. almost physically it was, I've never thought about this and while you were reading, something in my mind went because I know we don't really understand gravity, like, we understand gravity, but not really, I'm pretty sure. What if gravity was just like, I'm done. (laughs) What if gravity (laughs) just turned off? (laughs) Yeah. And we're just flying around. That's the opposite of falling, but still, it's the same. It's just being untethered. That's a really scary, profoundly interesting thing to bring up.
0: Okay, so... I started researching this and let me tell you, speaking of you're not alone, um, I found a lot of people dealing really? with this, and I, I want to read one more to you, which which Please. I think really channels the 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 complexity of this relationship with this particular anxiety. Uh, uh, this, this person writes, and, and this was in a public forum, uh, so okay. I'm going to share it. Uh, so, ever since about five years ago, one day I was just sitting in the car, and nothing bad happened. I just looked at the sun, and it was the first time I ever got this horrible feeling like gravity was going to stop working, and everyone would oh. just fall. Over the years, I struggled really bad with it, where sometimes I would be literally in tears crying during the times I had to walk outside, like to the store or whatever. I had to bring my sister everywhere with me so she could hold my hand. I'm crazy. Even when she came, that feeling still came, and I kind of felt like I was walking upwards. It's still really bad to this day. Sometimes I can walk now and i and i won't get that feeling but most of the time i can't even stand outside like at the beach or anywhere for very long periods of time and never in one place i wish i could overcome this fear because it's like holding me back in life at this point please don't oh, judge man. no judgment it's just no judgment. there so is such he, weight or that to person this. is
1: saying if they're inside there is a roof
0: yeah there's it's you're like wow. Protect it, right? Can't like. There's part of that that's agrophobia, right? Fear of open spaces. Sure. But you you have to tie oh, into that one that I had not heard of. Uh, you know what a barometer does, don't you? Atmospheric pressure, right? And so barophobia has oh. been used as the fear of gravity, pressure, or falling. Yes, uh, huh. right. It's tricky because sometimes this one is associated with falling down from high places. Like, mm-hmm. sure, I, I have a fear of falling, and we'll call it that, and maybe you might use it as, as, um, as, you know, a fear of gravity. But it it can be extended to this sort of obsessive thought spiral, like, I am afraid of the force of gravity not functioning, whether I'm falling up or falling down.
1: Oh, you can fall up. That's never. laude. That's never occurred to me. I've always thought of falling, going from high to low, but you can fall upwards. That's what we're talking well,
0: about. Well, I mean, no? I, maybe I'm using that. Uh, I'm being a little bit too broad I bet you in can my fall interpretation. Up, but either way, I, I it all depends on which direction the pull of gravity is. Right. You know, from your perspective, because up and down is just like perspective. If I were standing on my head, and you were falling, you would be falling up. Let's try it out, okay.
1: <laughs> this will be a member so exclusive. I'm
0: just gonna turn. I'm gonna turn my camera upside down and do the rest of the show perfect upside down, yeah, so uh wow. anyway, yeah, I feel and, so bad and, for that
1: person, and I feel so bad for anybody that's suffering from this because it's always around you all the time,
0: yeah, it's always yes. around you all the time, but what if, and so there is this component. Of the world that we think of as settled science, that we we are now to the point where we can take it for granted, because here on Earth, in this atmosphere, in this environment, on this planet, it is a trusted force, gravity. Like, we know how it works, right? But if all you can think about is what if it stops working, right? What if it stops functioning the way it does? Then what happens to us?
1: Well, this is something that I'm going to be thinking about. Yeah. for a while, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since you read <laughs> the article, but thank you, what was it, Catherine? Catherine, yeah. Thanks, Catherine! No, just kidding, thank you yeah. very much for submitting, Catherine, but no, it is very provocative. I sometimes have fixated just a little bit on the idea of how nothing is really solid, Yeah. that everything is atoms really tightly bouncing against each yes. other, and what kind of, like, with gravity what if whatever was holding them together just sort of stopped yeah and everything would molecular just molecular sort of
0: cohesion
1: molecular that's what i was yeah if you want to use about, the layman's whole, terms <laughs> that's a
0: whole star trek thing oh, where really? oh because i mean that's how transporters work right
1: oh i never thought to ask
0: just okay. breaking down like well yeah. So and but I think about that all the time like because I'm a superhero nut, right? And I think about the right. Flash. And the Flash does this thing where he moves so fast that he can phase through solid objects because the objects aren't really solid. He's just getting I didn't his know he could do molecules. That. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. That's Yikes. legit. Yeah, Flash is amazing. And <laughs> I guess. so, you know, uh so I th- that is one for me that I can absolutely Think about the other thing I get messed up on when I, you know, I play the piano. And so sometimes when I sit down and I stare at notes during a long sort of practice session, I, the world starts to like, like, it it feels like my field of vision goes to a wide angle lens, like all of a sudden, like I can watch my the world around me go from 24 millimeter to 16 millimeter to 10 millimeter and everything gets really wide and the notes on the page get super, super small and feels like they're coming apart.
1: What's that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird... Weird focus illusion thing, but wow. I can I spend if once that happens, it's it's both scary and cool, and I try to duplicate it and I can't, and it causes me to think about that molecular cohesion issue. Like, right. is the world really coming apart around me? And I can think <laughs> about it for so right, yeah, bonkers. <laughs> you you know wow. okay, so I'm I am alone. It turns out no, this I podcast s- is a fraud.
1: <laughs> no, I was the one that brought up molecular cohesion. I just didn't know it was called so no i definitely i i think i actively shy away from some of these things because i am the type of person that could fixate them on a little bit and as we've talked about numerous times in other episodes i like to scare myself yeah I liked, I like to series You I in the
0: basement in the dark. Me, me in the basement yeah. in the
1: dark. <laughs> and we yeah. just leave it there. And the first time <laughs> listeners is <are> like, what? <laughs> what is this podcast? Um, I used to, just if you haven't listened to that episode as a kid, and my parents were out like doing whatever parents do, I would sometimes turn off all the lights, go down in the basement, and just see if I could make myself scared by imagining that there were like ghosts and stuff like that. So yeah. I definitely have a very weird part of me that likes to think about things But there's a downside to that, yeah. Um, Right. I wonder what if there's a lack of gravity in my throat. (laughs) I want to bring (laughs) everything back to (laughs) disipation.
0: Well, so I this this gets to the the part where I told you this was big, right? Because this isn't just about like a fear of gravity right okay. because we know how to deal with the fear of gravity you expose yourself to it you read books about it you watch movies that that push you in that area and then eventually you start thinking about it and and exposing yourself to places you know with greater height you exposure therapy and talk it. therapy Our it is friends. a known issue it is a, a specific phobia it is something that you know your specialists can help you through if this is debilitating if it causes panic, panic attacks that are debilitating you can get to the other side of this but the The trick is, this is what I look at and think of when I think of an existential fear.
1: Mm,
0: Right? Do do you know what I mean by, like, an existential fear?
1: I think of them as being something so big and so dehumanizing and something so outside of yourself and so out of your control. Uh Uh-huh. How's that? Yeah. Are those words? Yeah, no, you that did. You nailed, you nailed you nailed oh, great. the whole thing. No,
0: yeah. oh, I did. A lot of people think of existential fears as this like the the fear of being human. So it's like, okay. um, you know, you're overwhelmed with both personal responsibility like, are you taking responsibility in the world and, and contributing in the way that you, you can? But more specifically, the forces at work around you, you have no control over. Right, right, right. That is an existential uh, fear. So all the stuff we've talked about. Have all all of these things come back to this discussion of taking control of your fear, right? Mm-hmm. Exposure therapy hinges on being able to take control all of your right. fear, right? You have to be able to walk up to the ledge and force yourself to reprogram your amygdala. But you can't do that when your fear is, what if gravity stops working, huh. That's really hard to do, right? So yeah. the the reprogramming takes on a, a different sort of uh, different sort of lens, I guess.
1: Do you know what it's like? Do you know what they do? Well, so I found
0: some uh, some sort of structures that. You know, you what you're doing in order to pre pro to reprogram your amygdala is to force yourself to ask different questions that replace the questions in your head. Uh, and so oh, instead of saying, you know, what happens when gravity fails, uh, you're, you're looking at it. I, I, the way I'm sort of thinking about it is the be careful discussion we had. Like when you say be careful, you're programming yourself with the language of fear, right? Of that thing,
1: right? So programming your children, right? Yeah,
0: programming your children. That was that was the context, and so you know, I look at it as. As like okay, if I'm afraid of the Earth's crust like failing Mm -hmm. and slipping into the six thousand degrees Celsius molten hot center of the Earth, Mm -hmm. what I am what what instead what I might say and start practicing and maybe journaling on and reciting and and programming myself around is yeah, the Earth's crust is relatively thin to you know planet eating robots. But to me, Ah. the Earth's crust is giant. Sure. And to me, whenever I need it, the Earth's crust is there to hold me. Whenever I need support, (laughs) the crust is there. Frankly, I've never seen or heard a story of anybody falling into a volcano that didn't put themselves there in the first place. Right. Right. Yep. So when you need the Earth to support you, it's There and terra firma, right? You, we just have to keep sort of going through that, that, that programming, right? Some of the language in it, you view fear as information, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is a, a very sort of Vipassana. Kind of way to to respond to this, which is just like observe. All right. you want to do is observe the data as it comes through, right? Instead of just reacting emotionally, uh, y- you want to say, "Okay, this is a thing I'm noticing about myself. What's going on in my body right now? Is my heart racing? Am I is my mouth getting dry? Am I getting a little bit dizzy? Should maybe I should sit down to make sure I'm protected? But just observe the data and mm. ask yourself, like, what is there about what I'm feeling here that could allow me to be curious, right? That's what you need to—you're sort of reprogramming yourself and saying, hey, uh, I could be distracted by all of these horrible thoughts of sliding down into the Earth's center, but I'm not even going to think about that. Right now, I just want to notice I'm terrified of something. Maybe Mm. I'm going to call it Steve, and I'm going to give it a a nickname like— you know, maybe bunny butt, and <laughs> <How dare> you? <laughs> you're going to talk to it like it's somebody. You're externalizing it, right? right? We've talked a little bit about, we, this, we before, did talk right? about this before, right? This whole idea of externalizing this paralyzing existential fear in order to to figure out how you might take control, because of
1: you're it. also you're humanizing something that is, by its own definition, completely unhuman
0: unhuman you're bringing
1: it into and you did something else that was interesting um you used one of the fears of um existential is the um minimizing of the self Mm -hmm. you used that as a strength saying to me the earth's crust is gargantuan you're celebrating the fact that you are small and fairly (laughs) insignificant in the large realm of things that can also be a positive In that way, because you're not a planet-eating robot. That's that's
0: a really good point, because gravity in its way is bigger than the Earth's crust, right? Right? It is a force that's larger. And so even taking something as as relatively, you know, big to me, but small in the scope of planet-eating robots is still... Getting to the point where I can think about it again, because thinking about gravity is so big. I can't think about it. I can't rationalize it. Right. But I can when I start talking about geology, that's a settled Mm -hmm. force I can discuss. I can think about I can learn about. That's cool. And, you know, maybe move to a desert where where someplace with a thick crust mountains move to a mountain. I don't know where you would go. Where would you go if you wanted Deep dish the thickest? Pizza. Cr- where is the... Where <laughs> on Earth... Where is the Earth's crust thickest? Oh, you is the again? Earth's cr- crust thickest? thickest? Torrance? Uh, what that's if there's irrelevant. an answer? Torrance, Atlanta California. Public Schools? Oh, the no. F- Torrance. So it is Torrance. Let's just go with Torrance. Okay. All right. So that's it. Uh, that's That's all. This is a huge thing
1: this is really interesting and outstanding and thank you so much again Catherine, for submitting because like you did you brought it up into existential we got into molecular convulsion and stuff like that bringing up something like this does cover a lot of ground yeah which could hopefully be helpful for people if they ever find themselves falling up
0: (laughs) (laughs) the earth's crust is exactly as thick as you need it to be
1: Mm. And my dad always said the crust is where all the nutrients are.
0: Like on a pizza?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I don't sandwich, think that's right. Yeah. Is that not true?
0: On a sandwich? Yeah. My <laughs> father's a liar.
1: <laughs> no, he just, because I never wanted to eat the crust. And so he's like, that's where all, that's where the chest hair is. Whoa. Whoa. If you eat I don't, it know, puts I hair don't on even your chest. know
0: how to do that That's
1: what he meant to say He meant to say if you eat the crust of a sandwich <laughs> It puts hair on your chest Unfortunately <laughs> he said your sandwich <laughs> is filled with chest hair <laughs> <laughs> My parents are A parents.
0: handful Macaroni and chest hair Can we take it back
1: to 19 Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is Back to 95 by Michael Shines. Coming up next week. And it seems that the same test, like you were saying, uh, did not affect men in the same way uh, at all. Because they were too busy trying to knock things over with their penises. I don't know. Whatever (laughs) men do. (laughs) Note to self, (laughs) pull-ups. Just like our... 8 a.m. Monday.
0: Don't eat a bagel. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Right. Quiche is not a cardio exercise.
0: What if I put a McNugget on a
1: stick? <laughs> is the stick uh, like a... Do you what call, if it's a
0: bone-shaped stick? A bone, <laughs> yeah. a finger stick? No,
1: I don't think that okay. will work. Then that's just a horrible lollipop.
0: Until then, I'm Pete
1: Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? Go get your oh. Yo, what you got in that bag? Candy, cigarettes, and a Playboy Mac Many used to have to work for that Work for that, work for that. Wait for me, gotta dial up Can't call my landline cause it's all tied up Just bike over there Oh